0: Welcome to the Wildflower Bee Farm Podcast. I'm Hank Sveck. This podcast is about helping you uh, learn and understand the different trials and tribulations of converting a 50-acre farm back to nature and a honeybee sanctuary and how we struggle to continue to be servant beekeepers. Here's this week's episode. Hey there, I'm Hank from the Wildflower Bee Farm. I want to start today by showing you a clip of some turkeys walking around the property and then kind of link it to uh what what our topics are for today please remember if you're listening to this you can go to our youtube channel uh wildflower bee farm and you can watch the video version of this or simply keep listening along wherever you picked up this podcast so here's a group of turkeys out and i just happened to run into them when i was out checking out the bees let me show you the video and then we'll talk about it shortly so here you see them. There's five little ones and a mom, but there's actually another mom around here. There's actually, it's not just one and five, it's actually two and five. And they're just plodding around, eating, enjoying life on the farm. You can see the different clovers and wildflowers and even some uh, early goldenrod. So, what does this have to do with bees? Let me tell you right now. So this is the time of the year a lot of beekeepers are looking at Varroa mites and what are their levels. Usually you would have treated them probably in July, but sometimes it's done in August. And when you treat for mites, uh, Varroa mites, um, the idea being that you would destroy them or keep the population down by using anything from an organic product. Remember when you use something of a high concentration, like, um, well, I won't give you the brand names, but whether it's the the thyme um, herb or even hops, the one they make beer out of, there's actually a version that's really high concentrated that's supposed to kill mites and so on. The point of all that is you're starting to introduce something that that's doing this. Now let me make the link to you. So I'm reading if you I, I think I've talked about it in other podcasts, but I'm reading uh, Charles Darwin, Origin of the Species. And I just came across a section where he actually said, remember, this was out in the 1850s. He actually said, that the uh, the global warming, climate change, he used those terms in the 1850s. I mean, I, I, I'm gonna have to Google or search it again with a word search because I still can't believe he said that in the book. Uh, he said that is less important on a species than the length, lack of competition from other species. And it just hit me in the head like a ton of bricks. I'm thinking, okay, what he's basically saying is, when one species becomes extinct or leaves, or it becomes overtaken by another species, the entire system changes, and it can be either supportive or detrimental to another species. So let's look at bees for a minute. Uh, many people have argued that bees, natural and also you know honeybees that we we raise purposely. declining. I'm not sure about that, but here's what we do know. We talk a lot about climate change, but maybe it has nothing to do with climate change because according to Charles Darwin, all living things adapt. They adapt to the point where those changes that are beneficial allow them to survive, whereas others of the same species who don't develop those adaptations don't make it. So when we treat bees for varroa using outside man-made stuff, if we could call it that, it's highly likely that we're also killing beneficial organisms within the, within the beehive, but we're also doing something to impact the varroa mites that will make it actually become a super mite, which many people have talked about. Because the, the mite, if you believe Charles Darwin, the mite will then, the varroa mite will then survive, a small group will survive somehow, And when they survive, whatever allowed them to survive will be passed on to the next generation and make them even more viral and stronger. And the other part to what Darwin is saying is that when we possibly destroy other um, beneficial insects or organisms in a beehive, we're causing an extreme upheaval in the system. Now let's take another step back. It dawned on me that, for example, one of the policies or one of the procedures beekeepers talk a lot about is the um, elimination of drone cells. And if you if you Google that or look at any beekeeping blog, you're going to see different strategies. Everything from putting in fake cells and then taking them out and freezing them, to cutting them out of your hive. All kinds of ways to eliminate drones, but let's think for a minute. What are drones? Well. Drones technically attract, like varroa mites would rather be in a drone cell than a worker cell. Now, we also know, and we're gonna see in some future videos, I found it again in some of our bees, the ability to sense uh, when a cell has a varroa mite in it, open that cell and carry out the larvae with the mite on it to protect the other bees. So if you have a lot of drone cells in your hive, the bees have a lot of, time to practice and adapt they have a lot of time to understand or learn the sense or the smell or the pheromones that come out of a cell with a varroa mite in it versus one that doesn't and i wonder because bees are so for pheromone sensitive what happens and if you've ever used formic pro or some of the other um rural mite treatments and i've done them early in my beekeeping career i mean some of them you need to wear a mask for because of the the powerful Um, And that's one of the safety precautions for using many of these agents in in a beehive. So if we just take a step back and think for a minute, rather than climate change, it could very well be that what's happened is by certain species becoming extinct or not as popular, we have accelerated the demise of our honeybees because they're not able to adapt. And when bees and other insects and plants and animals can't adapt, then then it sort of messes up the whole evolutionary process of survival. And we could very well be doing that with the bees. So here on the farm, I just finished uh, spending a great deal. So, so that's the little piece out of um, Charles Darwin, Origin of the Species. And I'm, I, every once in a while you're going to hear something, because when it comes up, it just... This gives me a chance to sort of talk it through, because it's always... Now, by the way, I'm still wearing the... Uh, Thistle love swag. I'll tell you where you can get that at the end of the show, but I'm pretty proud of what we're doing here. So to make a long story short about Charles Darwin, uh, it's almost like a spinning top, and when you just hit it slightly, the top can spin out of control. Remember when you were a kid, maybe even now you have one of those. That was a toy we had back in the day. And it seems like that's what we could be doing with our ecosystems and our honeybees. I'm still becoming more and more impressed by the impact of habitat on our honeybee survival. Let me take you through a quick step process here. So to be a servant beekeeper, you have to spend a lot of time watching the entrance to your beehives during the, what we would call the growing season. So the question is, what do you do when you look at a hive? Now, I'm gonna show you a hive now with a lot of action at the entrance and talk you through sort of what I look at, and it can be hours of watching the entrance to a hive. So to be a servant beekeeper, you obviously have to think this is important. Often when beekeepers get into hives, they're doing things and moving, and you know, we all like to get in and look and do all that stuff, but remember, the more we go in and disrupt them, the more we're adding a variable that might be just a little bit that contributes to their not being with us. So let me, look, let me show you an entrance that happened just yesterday, and I'll talk you through what I look for. This is uh, sort of a little introductory thing to servant beekeeping and observing the entrance of a hive. So here you can see the entrance. Now this has got a mouse uh, protector, I guess, on there. Now, I, I always start by looking at this thinking, okay, what's the general activity level? This is pretty high. This is regular speed. And you can see they're very active, coming and going, bringing in pollen and nectar. You can also see the age of the bees by the tuft, the fur that they may have. And there's drones. Look at all the drones coming and going. And I still find that so fascinating this time of the year because traditionally you wouldn't see that many drones, but we are seeing all kinds of drones. You're also seeing the different... I would call them strains of bees, that the queen, uh, when she hooked up with drones, she hooked up, remember, as many as 14, some say 15 different drones, some say even more than that, and they have different genetic links. And you can see by the the shading on the abdomen, the different... uh... Now, when the bees come in all yellow, we did a bit of digging, and I found out that some of the bees are diving right into evening primrose. The evening primrose is barely open, this time of the day but for some reason the bees are just diving in and they're also getting into some early goldenrod you'll also see as we watch and this isn't as long often i'll have five or ten minute clips um you'll see the different colors of pollen um there's a bit of housekeeping you can see that they're working on the outside of that wood uh perhaps just um doing some cleansing and cleaning a little propolis occasionally but again, there's another drone. So, so I, I get a sense for their, I know this sounds strange, but their psychological well-being when I watch a hive. And I also look at the health. I look at the, um, the activity based on other hives today when, it, when it's a nice day out and what's really going on even though a storm was brewing. So that's a short clip of a few things I look at when looking at the entrance. I'm, I'm going to probably have to do like a half hour thing just on that because I spend so many hours watching the entrances to the hives. Now let me give you a little more updates on some of our hives. And um, yeah, look, at it's just so beautiful. It's hard to stop. I'll give you a little update the other day i was walking out checking the hives and if you follow on instagram you'll know this because i posted the little clips i was so excited i didn't do one video but i actually saw a monstrous swarm sitting on a very low hanging tree and i thought well you know the chances of survival are slim to none but they've already swarmed and so i went and picked up my last waray hive and shook it in to the hive shook shook the swarm in and very quickly it looked like we had the queen and they started marching in and I was able to set up the waray hive. And boy, the next day they were really flying. I've got a complete video on that to show you them going out and getting pollen and not pollen, sorry, nectar it looked like. And so that's just, just an incredible time for that to happen. And, and the chances of survival, well, let's do the math. If the queen uh, started laying eggs today uh, give them a couple days till today to make some comb for her. It'll take 21 days for the bees to um, come. Let's say 22 days, but there's so many bees in that hive. They can collect nectar and eventually pollen for a very long time successfully, like a full-blown hive, before these new bees actually hatch out. So they they have a very good chance. Uh, right now, it's still clovers with evening primrose and other wildflowers. We have some early asters and some uh, actual goldenrod starting to open up and this place is going to be yellow with so much goldenrod it's going to be unbelievable. So that's sort of where we're at on that part of the farm. Uh, I did get my wool today. I got an incredible bale of wood from Burr, Ontario and I also have some from Nova Scotia. So you'll be seeing a video of my putting the wool into some selected hives to do some research on what happens and one of them will have a sensor and humidity um, unit in it so 24 7 we'll be collecting data to see uh, how that compares to the other hives that simply have the wood shavings so again i'm hank from the wildflower bee farm thanks for listening it's been a great uh, a great week here on the farm and look forward to bringing you more news next week Remember to pick up my latest book, What Grandpa Learned From His Honeybees, the little book to be smart with your money and help the environment, on Amazon or Audible. Pick it up today.